right. Well, we're going to continue with uh, our Sermon on the Mount series. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 19 through 24 today. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Um, so we're going to kind of uh, turn the corner again. Um, so we've been kind of focused on, you know, we focused on, you know, what that model of Christ was and that when we live that model of Christ, we're that city on a hill where we're an example to others. Um, and when we're the example to others, it matters how we treat people. And so we're kind of moving from the it matters how you treat people um, to the more inward focus of um, it's not just our outward expressions, but once again, it's our inward motives that really kind of help steer the ship um, of our, our hearts and minds. So we're going to get into what that looks like and uh, kind of dive a little deeper. So in our past couple messages in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has dealt with your outward actions come from inward motives, and we need to check those things. And now we're really pressing on to that even when there's not an outward action, you know, even when it's just that internal dialogue that you have, that needs to be focused on Christ. Uh, so it reminds me of the, the scripture of out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so often uh, we don't think we have a problem because our outward actions are okay, but under the surface, there is this thought process that is churning and churning and churning and setting ourselves up for a separation from God in a way. And so we need to be aware of those internal thought processes that we have. And do they align with God, not just in our actions, but in the way we think, in the way we approach life, do those align with God? So today we're going to look at this idea of, of storing up treasures and uh, I think because this has one of the like, most quoted scriptures ever of you can't serve both God and money, a lot of time we take this passage and we make it about money. Um, but really, it's about much more than that. It's really about whatever our, whatever our eyes, whatever our heart desires and we seek after. That's the treasure that he's talking about. And so money is probably the easiest picture to put on that. But it goes much deeper than that. So we'll start in verse 19. Uh, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, or treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so as we look at this kind of the idea of storing up treasures and that you cannot serve both God and money, um, it brings this idea that there is a true treasure and there is a false treasure. There's a true treasure that we can seek after and there's a false treasure that we can seek after. And uh, one of the kind of key things in this verse that really kind of unlocked this for us a little bit is that last line of you cannot serve God and money. And uh, most of our English translations do kind of a poor job of translating that word to money because that's not the word at all. 
Uh, really, it's you cannot serve both God and mammon. So this is one of the few instances where we have, um, um, where we have a non-Greek word um, in our New Testament. Most of this is the common Greek um, that they've spoke about, um, but this word really kind of goes back to the Chaldeans in Babylon, and what it means, mammon, is the idea is if you took greed and like the unhealthy pursuit of wealth, wealth to dominate, if you took that pursuit and you kind of personified it in an entity, that's mammon. Um, so it's not really saying it's an evil spirit or another god, but it's the idea that if you took that pursuit and you personified it in a person. So really what Jesus is saying is you can't serve both God and this greed pursuit of, con of consuming, of really you want to consume more and more and more and more. And I think that's important for us to understand um, because in our context, we don't need uh, a bank account with millions of dollars to be pursuing uh, money, to be pursuing mammon, to be pursuing this kind of unhealthy approach. And in fact, our, our cultural system means I can actually pursue this while stocking up, while having no money. So I can pursue this and pile debt upon debt upon debt upon debt upon debt. Um, and I don't need cash in hand to really pursue treasure, to pursue kind of this unhealthy um, consuming mentality. And so when we look at this, this is the contrast we look at. So we have this need to consume and pursue treasures now, and we have this idea that we can store up treasures in heaven. And so scripture does talk about the idea that there is an aspect of treasure in heaven, of you know, the idea that we can build up jewels in our crown, or there is a, a space or a reward for some and aren't others, and Revelations kind of plays on that. So uh, looking at Revelation, we don't fully know what that looks like and what that means, um, but the idea is there'll be different seats for other people. And I, so I think the danger sometimes is going to Revelation and thinking it's as clear as it says. Um, a lot of times when you look at the way Jesus would interpret prophecy in the Old Testament, sometimes it's pretty clear. Like when we look at Isaiah and by his stripes we're, we're healed and he has physical stripes on, uh, you know, from being whipped before the cross. And then sometimes the way Jesus would interpret something, you kind of go, Okay, you know, I, I didn't really get that from that Old Testament verse. but And so it's not always a simple, easy, you know, when we look at like the book of Daniel, there's some things that, you know, we can try to, here, let me give you the eight, nine steps to, to this is how they got to it, but it's not a clear one-on-one -on -one interpretation. And so I don't want to get into the all like, you know, we can store up treasures and have different crowns and we can get different positions in heaven because I think that idea of pursuing it in that light completely misses what Jesus is getting at. And that's the idea is that we're pursuing uh, wealth to consume. We're, we're pursuing treasure to consume. And so what Jesus is painting a picture of there is things that are temporary and there are things that are eternal. So there are pursuits that we can have now that are temporary and there are pursuits that we can have now that have eternal implications for us. And so we can boil this down to simply how do we interact with our friends? How do we interact with our families? And so we can have pursuits as far as, you know, I, I want to, and, you know, I get in trouble with this all the time. I have that wondering eye of uh, my parents are looking to buy a house right now. 
So uh, I have the Zillow app on my phone. So anytime there's a new house listed in Carthage, I get a little notification. Um, uh, and, and so it's for my parents, but, you know, every now and then it's like, oh, that's a really nice one. Like, that would be awesome. Well, we could probably afford that. Yes, it would put us in crushing debt for 30 years, but we could get away with it. You know, we could get away with it. And so there's this idea of like, oh, but wouldn't that be nice for the family? You know, we'd have the bigger, nicer house. The kids would have a bigger yard and, you know, but really when it comes down to it uh, is it's more of a treasure pursuit for me, not an eternal pursuit. Um, but I can have eternal pursuits in the house that we have now without going into crushing debt uh, where I'm pouring into our kids or I'm, I'm choosing like I don't need to go get a second job so we can get a bigger house. I need to spend time with them and pour into them. So there's the idea of there's this idea that I can pursue things now um, for treasure now or I can pursue things for an eternal treasure later. And so when we look at this, this idea of do not lay up for yourself Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And so I think it's important as we look at this to note the things that Jesus talks about are are things that we can somewhat protect against, but they're largely out of our control. So he's not saying don't store up for yourself treasures on earth because you could squander those treasures and lose them. No, he points out the things that are out of their control. Don't, don't build up treasures for yourself on earth because of moth and rust destroy and the thief could come in and steal. So the idea is there are things that are temporary that we have little control over. So I think so often our pursuit of treasure, our pursuit of this mammon, uh, really is our pursuit of idols because we want to control as we consume, we want to feel powerful. We want to feel that we have things under control. Uh, we want to, uh, and, and really, I think for our culture, we want to be comfortable. So I, I want the comfortable car. I want the comfortable house. I want the comfortable lifestyle that I see on Instagram and I see other people's live. I want to take that vacation. I want, and so we pursue this consumption and it becomes an idol of comfort. And what Jesus is saying here is in the blink of an eye, that can be taken from you. Um, if you place your efforts and your focus, we'll get to focus in a second, but if you place your efforts on it, it can be quickly removed. Where if you place your focus on treasures in heaven, if you place your focus on Jesus and the pursuit of the kingdom, then that's something that scripture tells us cannot be shaken, cannot be removed, cannot be stripped away from us, but it's an eternal pursuit because it's something that we have that's lasting. And so... I think so often, um, <laughs> uh, in, in a sermon I heard Matt Chandler preach one time, he talked about the idea of Ecclesiastes. Um, and Ecclesiastes talks about that we are the dew on the grass. You know, so the idea is that it's not that we're here for a day and we eventually fade away. He says it's even shorter than that. We're like the dew on the grass. We're here for an hour and then we fade away. In Texas, we're here for 10 seconds and then the sun comes out, we're fade away. We are so temporal, we are so minute that we are here today and gone today. And so the idea is, um, <laughs> it's a little easier now that we have genealogy tools and we talk about genealogy all the time, but most people have no connection to their great-great-grandparents or to their great-grandparents other than some stories and maybe a name. 
So I have the understanding, the idea that 150 years from now, no one's going to remember me. And, and that's okay. That's not a pursuit I have of I want to leave a legacy and be remembered. But the idea that we have uh, that is eternal is I can begin to build the kingdom now as Jesus has called me to love others, plant the seed of the gospel, and that it will have fruit that I'll never have any knowledge of. Um, one of my favorite, favorite songs right now um, is by John Mark McMillan, and it's called The Road, the Rocks, and the Weeds. Um, and in the song, he talks about this idea um, that what do we do? What do we do with our life? And it says, do we plant sequoias um, and revel in the soil of a crop we know we'll never get to reap? And so the idea is a sequoia is a tree that takes around eight to 900 years to fully come into itself to fully grow, to fully provide its shade. So the idea is if you were to plant a sequoia, you're not planting it for yourself. You're not even planting it for your kids or your great-grandkids. You're planting it for generations and generations away. But it's a mindset that we have when we begin to build the kingdom as God has called us to. The idea that I may plant and someone else may reap, and that's okay. But the idea is as I plant, even if I don't see a result of my treasure and my pursuit now, that I know that this is something eternal, that I know that this is something long-lasting that's going to bring fruit and benefits long after my physical body is gone from this place. And so do we store up treasures in the moment or do we store up treasures in heaven? And so I just love this idea that we are called to bear fruit and to produce fruit. And the amazing thing, if we do that well, and we do that in the way, in the place that God has called, called us to, what we do is, is we become fruit um, producers that help produce more fruit. So it reminds me of the, you know, the fruit tree that the fruit falls, rots, and goes into the soil, brings nutrients in the soil that then helps the future trees produce fruit. That's the, we're called to produce so much fruit that we strengthen the soil around us, that even after we're gone, we're providing nutrients for others to produce fruit. All right, no tree produces fruit for itself. We don't produce fruit for, my, for, for ourselves. My gift is not for me, but my gift is to grow and build the body so that as we grow and we come in unity in Christ together, we store up treasures in heaven. In other words, we're leaving a legacy of the gospel that's going to be lived out in our children and our children's children and our children's children, that we bring something lasting in the kingdom. Um, I love this. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, we see these parables from Jesus. So uh, I'm going to do two real quick of the parable of the field and the parable of the pearl of great price. So 1344 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant uh, in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the idea is when we truly understand what the kingdom of God is, when we truly understand the fruit of the gospel in the love and mercy and joy of Jesus Christ, we are willing to give away all that we have in that single pursuit of Jesus. So we stop storing up treasures on earth and we start storing up treasures in heaven. And so really kind of when 
uh, Jesus digs into this, when Jesus digs into this, past the initial, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth because they're going to pass away, they're going to rot, they're going to rust, they're going to fall apart. Store up for yourself eternal treasures. He goes into this idea of for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what comes out of our heart is important. And so as we look at this, uh, Luke 6, 45 says this, says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this pursuit of treasure, once again, the common theme that we have so often in the Sermon on the Mount is that we have to dig past that surface and we have to understand the heart behind it. You know, so it's not just we give our offering, but what's the heart behind our offering? We give our praise, yeah, but what's the heart behind that praise and prayer? You know, so it's pushing us deeper of as we look at this, so when I find myself wondering, when I find that Zillow app pop up and I see that nice house and I, you know, I contemplate putting ourselves in financial distress to, to get something nice and shiny, what, what is the heart behind that? What, what is in my heart that is disconnected from Jesus that is causing me to be tempted and being pulled that way? And so as we look at our heart, um, it, it reveals our search for treasure our search for fulfillment reveals a lot about our heart. And so the idea is the same. You know, we talk about trial and temptation. So, uh, you know, James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kind. Because trials help build you up, but they also reveal. They also reveal. And so um, that idea of, Sometimes it's hard to know what I truly believe. Um, so I, I've grown up in East Texas where it's the, uh, you know, it's the common understanding that we believe in Jesus. We go to church. We, do certain, we have a, a certain moralistic uh, viewpoint on life. And so a lot of times growing up in a bubble, um, it was hard sometimes to know what I really believed because I was never really pressed with any other direction. So the minute I left home and went to college and I didn't have my parents there encouraging me to do good things, I had other voices encouraging me to do other things. You know, that's when you start really understanding what do I actually have faith in? So when I'm pressed, what do I do? Where do I go? So for the same thing as I don't know how strong I am until I lift something heavy. The lifting something heavy reveals the internal strength that I didn't know and I can't see. So it's the same thing, um, that temptation of treasure, that temptation to pursue and consume reveals a hidden thing in our heart. And that's one of those things that we talk about, um, that how do we view Jesus? How do we view the Holy Spirit? Do we view them um, as the good surgeon who gives a scalpel and cuts to reveal? It may be painful, but it's for a purpose. Or do we view him as the, the mean, angry God that's just looking to cut me, um, that's attacking me with the sword? So how do we view that interaction when the hardship comes? Does that hardship 
there to reveal where our heart's at so that we can press in, so that we can grow uh, and grow in the things of God? Um, or do we view it as just the world's out to get me? Um, and so, so many times we, uh, we have the spiritual language of, of warfare and battle. And there is warfare and battle that, um, that we need to be aware of, but largely it's warfare and battle we don't fight, um, that Jesus fights for us. So many times I think the church has taken on that vernacular warfare and battle and we think we do it. You know, so I'm going to warfare you know, with my sermon right now. I'm going to warfare with our, our music. And really what we're doing is we're taking the power from Jesus and going, Don't, Jesus, you sit right there. I've got this. I've got this. I'll, I'll take the enemy down. I mean, really it's like, like no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to watch you take care of that because I can't. Uh, I know you're going to be way more effective than me. And so where, what is that revealing of our heart when we go forward? Do we allow God to take over and take control, or do we try to take control from God and do it ourselves? Um, so what is our pursuit? What is our treasure? And this really gets into that, that last part, um, is where is our focus? Where is our focus? And, and so almost we can kind of reverse engineer this, and we can see that um, our focus, whatever we're focused on, leads to the condition of our heart, and then the condition of our heart is revealed on what we pursue, how we actually act. All right? So if I get a thought in my head uh, that's not a good thought and I leave it there long enough, it will condition my heart to pursue that negative thing. And so, uh, you know, uh, in education we see this all the time. So if kids believe they can't do something and that's a thought process they have long enough, it will condition their heart and it will actually remove the hope from their heart. So what happens in action is the kid just sits there and you go, hey, man, you, you got to try to do this work. And the kid goes, it doesn't matter. I can't do it. You know, they're, they're not even going to try because this thought process has gone on so long. All right, their focus so long has been, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this, that it's conditioned their heart. Their heart has no hope. And so out of the abundance of the heart comes the action of, I'm not even going to try. It doesn't matter. And so, so many times... If we can fix the focus of our eye, all right, if we can fix the focus of our life, it helps condition our heart, and then out of that abundance of the heart flows the goodness of God. So it's the same thing that Paul talks about in Romans 12 of, um, you know, we give our life as a living sacrifice by the renewing of our mind. That when we have our mind focused on Jesus, it actually renews us positions our heart in a way that good actions are going to flow from that, that the goodness of God is going to flow from that. So 22, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So in other words, you have this crazy powerful light in the Holy Spirit inside of you. All right. You have this pension, uh, we have this pension for, for bad and we have this pension for good inside of us. And so as we look at the world, uh, we call this the idea of like common grace. So all of us, were, whether we know Jesus or not, whether we know God or not, all of us were created in the image of God and were we created for um, holy intent and purposes. Now we've chosen to separate ourselves from that purpose 
by choices that we make. Sin comes in and removes us from that. But that initial act of creation for the goodness of God isn't, isn't gone. It, it's still there. It needs to be uncovered by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be brought into the fullness of light to do that. Um, but sometimes we allow that darkness to be so powerful, so consuming, that it squashes out the light inside of us. This is especially sad when we see this in the church. Um, that uh, sometimes we can have um, man, such a problematic worldview in the church that the church can be some of the most negative, um, angry. When I was a kid, we called them the curmudgeons in the church. You know, there's, there's no joy within them. Uh, no, you know, so they knew, the, they knew the love of Christ and the joy of God, you know, but they weren't showing it to you. you know? And so uh, that's so sad when that happens. When the idea is we have this amazing joy, this amazing light inside of us in the Holy Spirit. So how powerful is the darkness if that doesn't shine through? But the key to that, it says the eye is the key to that. So where is our focus? So back to that first verse, we see that again in 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and the pursuit of greed, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of consuming the world around us. And so as we look at this, you know, where's that focus? First Timothy 6 says this, uh, it says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we have this picture that Paul paints of this idea of, the idea, a lot of times we talk about wealth, the idea that we're going to set up a good foundation for ourselves, for our future. And Paul kind of takes that, completely flips on on his head, and goes, so you have rich. And he says, it's not wrong that they're rich. It's not wrong that they're wealthy. He says, but instead of focusing on that wealth, instead of turning their eyes to that wealth, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, he says, and those things will store up a foundation for themselves. Not their wealth, but doing the things of the Lord, all right, having that heart of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, that will actually uh, store up a good foundation for themselves for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so I think the, uh, uh, so many things I come across as we go through the series on the Sermon on the Mount um, yes, there, are, there is this idea of eternal implications. So my, my pursuit and my discipleship with Jesus has eternal implications, you know, not just for me, but, but for my family, um, for how we raise our kids, how I treat my wife. It has those eternal implications um, as far as it's not just affecting me, but it's affecting those that come after me. But it also has those immediate implications, and so the, the good news of Jesus is that, one, he died for our sins so that we can have eternity in heaven with the Father. But the other good news of Jesus 
is that he died for our, on the cross so that we could have the Holy Spirit so we could have the Father now. Uh, that it's not something we just have to wait till the future to have the Father, but we have the goodness of God now. So it's like the prodigal son who asked his father for the inheritance early, and he gets it. And so that's the, the good news of Jesus Christ on the cross, is that we get our inheritance now, not just after we get to heaven, but we get that inheritance now. So as we look at this, so many times the thing Jesus talks about, so don't, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven and what Paul points out to Timothy is that by storing up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, we'll be able to take hold of that which is truly life. So in other words, we won't miss out on what truly matters. So, so many times when we make the choice, and we may think of it as an eternal choice, so I'm choosing to store up treasures in heaven and an eternal treasure, that will actually produce good fruit in my life now not just when I get to heaven, but when I really pursue Christ, when I really pursue him and him alone, it makes me a better husband. It makes me a better father. It makes me a better employee at my job. It makes me a better friend. All right? it, it makes me a better son to my parents. And so it brings goodness and joy and fruit in our life now, not just in the age to come. And so as we look at our focus, as we look at where our heart's going, Right? It's, it's this idea. What actually brings value to our life? What really brings value? And the world has gotten really good at selling us on this toy, this thing, this pursuit is going to bring value to your life. So buy our car and you'll feel powerful. You can go really fast in traffic. Buy our car, it's the most luxurious. You know, Buy our car... You know, buy our big super, you know, souped up truck and you can crush the competitors. Apple's really good at this. Buy our new phone that's slightly different than our old phone because in the ways that it's different from our old phone, it completely changes your life. So every six months, Apple changes our life by giving us a new phone. Um, and so as we look at those, the idea is what do we value? Do we value the comforts? Do we value the tech advances? Or do we value family? Do we value community? Do we value fellowship? And so when we change that value, it produces not just treasures in heaven, but as Paul says, it produces a foundation where we take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you and we praise you that you have given us what is truly life in Christ Jesus. That through Christ on the cross... Uh, Father, that you have given us that pearl of great price. That you have given us that which we couldn't buy, we couldn't earn. You have given freely the thing that, that truly matters. And that's fellowship and relationship um, with you and you alone. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you that we have been forgiven so much. That so much grace and so much mercy has been extended to us. So, Father, I just pray that you would, you would help us in those daily pursuits. Uh, you would help us in the, the pursuits of our life that we would pursue the things that have value, not the things that are temporary. So we thank you and we praise you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, remember, we have men's meeting Tuesday night at 7 at uh, Denny's. And so men, will will be following the women. So we'll be starting Colossians chapter 1 this week.